If it's okay with you, I would like to take a second to discuss the state of the COVID-19 agenda. COVID-19 is just one part of a multifactorial plan by the central bankers and insurance companies to essentially crash and replace the U.S. dollar uh, with cryptocurrency and subscribe unsuspecting citizens of the world to do what can only be described as a technocratic slavery system. I wish there was a softer word for it, but there there isn't. Um, so kind of here's how it rolls out. First, you use the magic virus to scare people. Now, I'm not saying the virus isn't real. I'm not saying that I'm a COVID denier or anything like that. We're just talking about strategy here. There's plenty of evidence that this uh, virus was man-made. Um, statements made by former Nobel Prize winners, the, 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 in, the scientist who discovered HIV pointed out that the COVID-19 could not have occurred naturally through mutations. There's a paper trail from Fort Detrick in the United States, and then moving that research over to Wuhan, and then we all know what happened from there. So that's what I mean by the magic virus. And um, okay, so first you use the magic virus to scare people. Next, you persuade people that the only way to protect themselves from the virus is to get designated tests like the ineffective and highly false positive producing PCR test and toxic vaccines rushed and injected up their nose near the brain blood brain barrier. Then you keep the ingredients of the vaccine secret, attacking or killing scientists or doctors who try to document or publish the real ingredients. One such example would be thimerosal, which is really just mercury. Um, it's a form of mercury that is just as detrimental to the body and nervous system. If you look at the ingredients on the COVID-19 vaccine, you're not going to see thimerosal, you know, and then there's plenty of others, including uh, aborted fetal cells. Many people don't even realize that those are utilized in uh, a great deal of pharmaceutical products, but especially vaccines. Then... You get vaccine mandates legislated around the world and end religious exemptions. Bankrupting and outlawing the churches helps with that, especially because you need a large supply of aborted fetal tissue for such a massive global vaccination program, as mentioned. You build a large army of contact tracers and snitches to locally herd people into the vaccination process and call the herd people who may inspire resistance to the process. And we see this happening through um, <clears throat> step one, which was the economic dependence, right? You get people to close their businesses or create mandates that make it difficult for them to stay open. That economic dependence makes people, especially people of low morality, more likely to accept money to do immoral things like snitch. As you shift all of the essential businesses into your companies, you require the vaccinations for employment, purchases, and transactions. Now that you've shut off many people's income and moved them to dependence on government subsidies, receipt of subsidies can be made subject to vaccination. So 
none of this really has anything to do with health. It has to do with herding the population into your control system. And right now we are at the end of a fiat currency-based control system that is falling apart because it's got way too much debt. And we're in, in the midst of a complete currency reset by the parasite class, you know, the central bankers and insurance companies who have engaged in Ponzi schemes and theft uh, for probably thousands of years. So what's the move? Um, the move is to start regenerative, community-sufficient tribes that are of high-morality people that are living in harmony with nature. That's exactly what we're doing. I'm a big believer in being the change that you want to see in the world. And um, we are forming an incredible group of people with off-grid power, uh, no Wi-Fi or wireless uh, radiation, but we will have you know fast wired internet. We're going to have spring water on the property. We're going to practice loving thy neighbor, respecting everyone. It's not a commune or anything like that. Just think of it like a community of people or a neighborhood, a small town of people who who get it, who see with both eyes, who honor their bodies and who live from the heart and put God, the laws of God and the laws of nature above the laws of man. Um, if you guys would like to learn more about this community, uh, you can do so at biohackercoaching.com. I do want to mention that the... Um, you know, if you're going to book a time for us to talk, you want to kind of be in a position where you could move if you're accepted into the community. And uh, the minimum donation that guarantees a quarter acre of land is uh, 25K. So I just want to put all of that out there and be respectful of everybody's time. But if that sounds like something that you may be interested in, go to biohackercoaching.com, fill out the short form, mention community. And um, yeah, we've got a beautiful mix of entrepreneurs, healers, yogis, health professionals, families, and individuals who value freedom, connection, and living in harmony with Mother Earth. Um, all religions, except for uh, except for Satanism and Luciferianism, <laughs> never would have thought I had to mention that until uh, 2020, are valued and welcome. So it doesn't matter to uh, it doesn't matter if you're Christian, Muslim, uh, Jewish, as long as you put God um, up top. That's all that really matters here. So biohackercoaching.com is where you can check that out. Just mention community. And if you want to have your application skip to the front of the line, uh, text community VIP after you've completed your application and finished and, and booked the time uh, to 847-989-3743. That's community VIP to 847-989-3743. Thank you. This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brittle. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Stephanos, welcome to the Biohacking Secret Show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Good to be here. 
Let's start off by giving our listeners a little bit of background. You're in the relationship space, uh, spirituality. Mm. How'd you get into it and kind of what's your uh, origin story? Yeah, how I got into it. Uh, pain is the answer. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, I messed up a lot in my own relationships and didn't, very, I didn't have very healthy relationships that uh, I was exposed to or that I could learn from growing up and hence left a trail of destruction in my own life. And so that at some point got wore thin and became very challenging and very painful. And I was, I was literally just hurting people, hurting myself. And I thought, Hmm, I've got to do something different here. And it wasn't, unfortunately, it wasn't one of those moments of, Oh, I'm going to shift now. It, It was thrust upon me at that time. I was in a relationship and I was very unfaithful in that relationship and she found out and that became the catalyst for really deeper introspection. And then I started unpacking my traumas, who I was in the world, how I was being as a man, as a partner, as a, as a friend, as a brother, as, as everything that I was, you know, the way that I identified myself, I just deconstructed my identity and, um, and really went down that, that path. Now, during that time and for many years, I've been a very uh, studious person. I've always been fascinated with the mind and human potentiality. And I suppose much like yourself in terms of biohacking, right? Like really understanding the psychology of humanity, collective and individual. And how does that, how is reality formed in this thing that we call a being? So, you know, I've got a background in psychology and behavioral science and, and all the things but I wasn't integrated as a, as a human being. I was always looking for answers outside of myself, but never really dealing with the stuff that was unsettled within. And that, that really gave me an opportunity a number of years ago, gave me an opportunity to go within. And that's when I really began that journey and got very crisp clarity on, okay, who do I want to be in the world and how do I want to serve and how do I want to spend my time? You reminded me a little bit of parts of my journey where <laughs> you know, when I was real young, I didn't, I didn't really know what I was doing with girls and like I, how to get their attention. It was just like, be good at sports and hope it worked out. And usually I would just, you know, I, I date, I dated incredible women, but it was them coming up to me and, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of choice in that area. And then sort of college and after college, I started trying to like, get a little bit better at that admitting that, that I needed to practice. And, um, I found myself in a situation where I was almost like compensating. Mm. And then on top of that, I wasn't particularly conscientious of, of a hundred percent of the uh, energetic impact and emotional impact I was having on, on the women in my life. And it wasn't so much until recently that, you know, that I opened up my, my eyes to that and how, you know, how was I leaving everyone that I touched in my life? You know, uh, that, that I started saying, okay, this area could use some work. I could use some work. Why am Mm -hmm. I being like this? You know, why am I acting like uh, a high schooler, you know, when I'm a grown ass man? And um, was, was it you seeing the pain that you put, that you gave your ex from cheating that really created pain for you and caused the shift or what was it? Yeah, that was part of it. And so what that whole experience triggered was um, a great deal of shame and the shame triggered these repressed memories and experiences that I had as a kid, um, just growing up in a lot of trauma and violence. 
um, you know, aggressiveness and my parents were violent with each other and very um, emotionally abusive with each other. And that leaked out onto myself and my brother as young children as well. Just grew up in a very volatile family. And then from there, I was very meek and, and very passive as a young kid and very withdrawn and, and really hid from the world. But then as a teenager, because I'd suppressed so much, I became very violent and became very angry. And all that suppressed anger and rage just leaked out massively. And I just got involved in in, in gangs and bikies and, and drug-related things. And just I, I just went down a very challenging path and then I stopped that in my early 20s and but that anger still festered inside of me that rage right like it was just unresolved stuff that I I didn't know how to deal with even though I was helping people deal with their own psychological issues and emotional issues I wasn't doing it for myself because I thought I've got it all together it's all good you know, this is, this is quote unquote normal. And I was justifying my own actions and, you know, I was in my own echo chamber, man. So it was very difficult for me to, to see beyond that. And even though I'd, I'd seek some help and assistance and support, I wasn't really embracing because I wasn't willing to do that work. And so when that happened, that, that experience happened with my ex-partner, a few ex-partners ago, that really shifted me because I had to deal with the shame. It was very visceral was there and I, I didn't know what to do with it other than I couldn't run from it anymore I just knew I couldn't run from it anymore that was that was the short of it yeah there you it, what comes to mind is that and I, and I see it so much today and I've done it so much in my own life this the difference between like intellectual mastery mm. or like a, a, an accumulation of information in an area versus embodiment of yeah. that of that wisdom yep. you know how do you how do you bridge the gap from information to wisdom to embodiment? And you know, we see so because of how much information is at our fingertips today, we see so many people who have that intellectual level of mastery and can regurgitate stuff inside out. Yep. You know, the the health expert who's like 30 pounds overweight, or you know what I mean? Like, um, and it seems like perhaps there was a little bit of that there where you knew this stuff. And you could yeah. teach other people and see their problems, but it, it hadn't, the light hadn't yeah. been turned in. Yeah. Well, the attachment to the value of the intellect and the, the cognitive function of the mind and analysis and that whole process, we're so attached to that, that it provides us with an illusion of expertise or superiority or leadership, mm-hmm. but it's only one facet of leadership, right? That embodied wisdom is very important when it comes to actually making significant tangible transformation and change in our lives and evolutionary growth. Right. And so, but we can deceive very, very quickly. I mean, I was a master manipulator of that and it wasn't, I wasn't conscious of it per se. It was more unconscious for me, but there were elements of conscious manipulation because I didn't want people to, I would wear masks. I didn't want people to see my pain or or see my fears. I wanted to portray a particular type of person. Mm. Um, And it took years to unravel all of that, man. Like it took, it took quite some time and it's, it's still an unraveling. I don't, I very seldom believe anyone that says, Hey, I've got it all together. My life's sweet, but I I can believe that their life is great and they enjoy their lives. I love my life. Um, and if someone comes to me and says, Oh, you know, I don't have any challenges. I just, I'm, I'm cool. I'm fine. I'm like, "Eh, you don't look enlightened, bro. I don't know about that. 
<laughs> Not after 2020, you don't. Yeah, no one yeah. believes you. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna call you your bu- bullshit on that one. But hey, we can play the game if you want. Yeah. Uh, let's let's talk a little bit. Let's get into some of the psychology of humanity because a lot of things are coming to the forefront and have for the, for the past nine, ten months. Um, I, I'd like you know. I think all of us coming up through the school system have started looking back on what we learned and questioning how much of it was kind of grappled with and manipulated potentially. And, um, you know, there's so much stuff that we wish we would have learned in school, especially those people who are interested in psychology, but then maybe get out into the real world and are like, why do I feel so, so ill prepared for this? Maybe you could share some of the things and the components that, that are, you know, part of, the psychology of humanity that should be taught in school that we haven't learned. Oh man, you're opening up Pandora's box. Fuck. Um, well, I don't even know where to start with that. I'll be honest with you, man. Um, I mean, some current observations of humanity is that, and I think you can look at the, uh, the history of where we've come from and how we behave as a collective and as individuals is that we very much struggle to learn and grow from an experience. In other words, move from an undesirable state into a more desirable state that is more sustainable, such as anger and rage and sadness. It serves a purpose. You know, for example, from an evolutionary perspective, rage is a way to enroll someone else into our way of seeing the world. But what happens generally is that it becomes so uncontrolled within us that we then end up scaring the person and activating their sympathetic nervous system response. And now all of a sudden we're two reactive people that are accumulating uh, a, a negative, we'll call it a negative or a, a an isolating way of uh, interacting with, e- with each other, right? Mm-hmm. But, but back to the desirable, undesirable, rage is an example is an undesirable state. You wouldn't want to be enraged 24-7. But happiness and joy, peace, elation, whatever, these high vibratory states, physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, they, they are more desirable states. Now, they don't necessarily carry more importance than an undesirable state, but they, they are more desirable, right? So what I've noticed in humanity is that we tend to only change and shift into more sustainable, desirable states of being. And by the way, sustainability goes in hand in hand with the desirable state of being. And you only have to be non-pathological to figure out what desirable is for you, right? That humanity doesn't learn, doesn't grow, doesn't transform unless we hit rock bottom. This is what I've noticed collectively, right? Like we have to hit rock bottom sometimes multiple times say, okay, I'm out. I'm going to actually change the way I've been. I'm, I've been being, I'm going to do a bit more research. I'm going to look into this. I'm going to feel what's going on inside. I'm going to ask some deeper questions. I'm going to get some support, whatever it is, right? Combination, all of that and above. I'm going to make some changes, but we don't do that unless we're really in the fucking mud. And I, I think, you know, if I peel that back, what aren't we taught in school? We're not taught how to deal with conflict in a healthy way. We're not taught how to deal with challenges and how to deal with confrontation. You know, like confrontation in life, confrontation with difficulty and challenge is, is a given. It's, it's just going to happen. We're always or regularly at least going to be faced with the unknown. We're going to be faced with uncertainty. So we have to improve the quality of our relationship to challenge. And we're not taught that in school. We're not taught how to be with that. We're taught to often suppress. We're very cerebral 
in our in our collective value systems. Like if you have a degree, if you're an engineer, if you're an accountant, if you're this, if you use your mind really well, then you are a valuable asset in society. Hey, mm-hmm. by the way, I completely resonate with that. That's very helpful and we need more of that actually. And there are other aspects to humaning that like, such as learning not to isolate ourselves when we're feeling shame that can be very helpful that can progress humanity the collective and the individual forward in such a way that we haven't seen before because when we look back at history and i'm not saying let's get utopian and eradicate conflict completely i don't think that's possible i think it's more the quality of the relationship we have to conflict that needs to shift right but when we look at history yes we're living in the most peaceful times but fuck man it feels like we're always on the verge, always on the verge, <laughs> just on the edge, just there, just on the edge. Yeah. Humans love both violence and peace. Yeah. We're incredibly yeah. unpredictable. Like yeah. And you- we can't have one without the other to some extent. I get that. Right. But, but yeah. I think the relationship needs to shift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you look at earth from the the perspective of an intelligent life form, that's like, trying to decide, Hey, do I want to go there? If I went there, would I reveal myself? And if you looked at the behavior of what we're doing to each other, Mm. you might be like, man, I ain't messing with them. They are Mm. unpredictable. They're making all sorts of decisions that don't make sense. They're not logical, you know? And all they did for 18 years in school was learn how to be logical. I don't get it. (laughs) So what are some of the big shifts that you've made in your life? Especially that have helped with, you know, I think some people are here for, for at least some romantic advice or things that could help them in their, in their relationship or relationships. Um, what are some of the big shifts that you've made that, that you encourage other people to make? Yeah. You know, on the theme of confrontation, I confronted my fears. I confronted what I was shameful about, you know, whether it was the fact that I wasn't making the money that I wanted to make, the fact that I had a very broken relationship with my father, particularly the fact that I hadn't reconciled my abuse that I'd experienced as a young child, emotional and physical abuse. Um, The fact that I had a lot of shame around my rage and anger, that I was deceitful and dishonest, Um, really reconciling all that and owning that, just just really owning all of that and moving into radical self-acceptance, meeting myself with loving presence and empathetic resonance. And these these are techniques and tools that are very necessary for healing not only the human spirit, but the human physiology to get us out of sympathetic and into a eventual vagal parasympathetic response where we're more open and receptive to what's happening in the world, where we're not so charged and amped up all the time, where our nervous system isn't jacked, where stress hormone isn't being so... you know, you know, I don't want to say violently, but aggressively released through our body where we're on this fight or flight, you know, I mean, I just, I had to reconcile all of that and I had to be at peace with, I had to forgive myself with the shit that I'd done and who I'd been and the unconsciousness that I carried in every interaction with self and with others. And so that was a very, very long process. And to some extent it still is. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was uh, last week, you know, I felt some really deep shame. I can't remember what triggered it, but I think I was just a little, I think I was actually a little overwhelmed. Um, I've got a lot on at the moment. And so it's a great developed nation problem to have, right? Um, and I was feeling a little overwhelmed. And I just started to spiral. I didn't check myself. I didn't get into, you know, my practices such as breath work or sitting in stillness or whatever it was that I would do. And I just kept busying myself and I got overwhelmed. That overwhelm turned into some shame because I started just spiraling in the way I think. 
And I had to sit with that. And instead of running from it or getting angry and blaming everyone around me or getting really short-tempered and agitated because I'd get impatient, that's what I do, like that's my release valve, I just sat with those very uncomfortable feelings, did some breath, did some introspective stillness practice and just really cleared it, moved some energy through my body, through movement as well, um, and just took ownership of that. And, And that's really some of the biggest changes I've made is had to take ownership of my big unpleasant feelings and stop seeking outside of myself in a codependent way for someone else to heal me or fix me or take care of it for me. That was a, that was a big thing because, and that pattern for me was, you know, I would always look to mum to take away the pain. Although my mum was very physically abusive as well. Right. But she was way less abusive than my dad. So I would always look to her to fix it or make it better. And that pattern became a habit that I took into my adult intimate partnerships as well. So even unconsciously I would project, I would get frustrated if I was frustrated at my partner because she wasn't able to make me feel better. I mean, talk about disempowerment, right? Fuck. Mm -hmm. You said some great stuff there. And, um, Stephanos, can you point the listeners to your website and where you post your best content? Just because you're dropping some bombs right now, I want to, I want them to be able to follow you when you're you know when you're on a high note. <laughs> of course, we're now. I appreciate that. Yeah, so you can uh, website. Uh, I've got a couple of websites, but growwithstephstef.com, growwithsteph.com, and social media at Stephanos Stefandos. Awesome, growwithsteph.com. Um, you said m- I had to start meeting myself with loving presence. Mm. and radical acceptance. Mm. And you mentioned, you know, our relationships with our mother and father Mm. and breath work Mm. and sitting in stillness and and an introspective stillness practice for our listeners who want to meet themselves with more loving presence and radical acceptance. What, what changes that you haven't mentioned do you recommend or practices for developing more of that in one's life. Yeah. So sometimes there's there's a great deal of um, anger or fear that's associated with our inability to meet ourselves in greater acceptance. So we're judgmental of ourselves, right? And the act of judging ourselves, again, physiologically, it places us in a very protective, defensive um, state of being. And that's often associated with either hiding or withdrawing or with anger and, and rage and aggression, right? But it was just trying to protect us. It was just trying to find equilibrium and feel better. And so one of the ways that we can really help ourselves, you know, meet ourselves with more acceptance and less judgment is to follow the feeling. I call it following the feeling, right? And so that's an exploration of, okay, so I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling tension in the body. Let me ask some questions about that. What's it represent? What's it mean? What does it need? So don't shame the anger, just follow the feeling, just in a neutral way, just like you would meet it with happiness, just like you would meet, you'd welcome happiness into your life, you'd welcome winning $10 million, you'd welcome good sex, like just welcome anger or whatever the uncomfortable feeling is with that level of curiosity. And then ask what it needs. You may need to scream. Okay, so scream, scream into a pillow. You may need to hit pillows or you may need to go for a walk or a run or or you may need to do some shaking, right? You may need to do some trauma release work. You may need to engage in some mindfulness practice, right? Um, you may need to do some journaling, whatever it may be. You may need to go to the gym and hit the fuck out of heavy bags. It, it doesn't matter what you need to do, but just start following your feelings, right? And that can be really, really important for moving into more acceptance because now you're not segregating. Like the brain is very good at compartmentalizing and judging the world around it to keep itself safe, but we do it in excess. Mm. 
because especially after that head centered education we all got. There you go, a hundred percent. Because we're always in comparison mode, right? We're never good enough. Like we're never enough ever. Not enough money, not enough material possessions, not enough status, not enough good things in our lives, not enough time, whatever. Nothing's ever enough. And so to pull back from that, we have to stop what we have to stop essentially polarizing our experiences and only drawing in what feels good. Because now what's happening is we're fracturing ourselves. We're feeling disconnected. There's a dissonance that we're feeling within. And therefore, by default, we're not feeling whole. And then shame even gets laid on top of that because, oh, we're not good enough to feel whole. Here's another can of worms that we're opening up. So, you know, follow the feeling, give yourself permission to feel the different experiences that are residing within your body and just explore that in in a curious, neutral way. And here's the thing. Don't do it on your own. We're relational beings. Don't do it in an isolated way because that's just going to further perpetuate judgment and, and place your body in a very tensile response. Seek professional help. Join a men's or women's circle, whatever, you know, go to AA, whatever it may be, you know, counselor, therapist, coach, shaman, spiritual healer, friend circle. Find people that respect you, trust you, and revere you, and it's reciprocated, and that you feel safe enough to stimulate that nurturance canal to open up and relax your digestive system, open up your heart, let your brain be less analytical and less, you know, what's going on in the, in the environment. And, you know, in, in surround yourself with people that make you, help you feel safe in all of your expression. I know that's not an easy thing to do, but you've got to at least try and you've got to, you know, come from a place of self-love first. Yeah, it's great advice. And there's a lot of options out there that I didn't even know existed until recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. A, a woman and her boyfriend who uh, they're joining our uh, regenerative, regenerative community in North Carolina. And she was telling me that she does these red tent events. And she kind of kept going and I nodded and her boyfriend's like, do you know what a red tent event is? And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, and I could be, I could be messing this up, but it's, you know, once a month when women are bleeding, they mm-hmm. get together in a tent and they use that energy to visualize and talk about the past month and what they'd like to bring into creation and their reality in this coming month. And you know, some of these are, are indigenous practices that, mm. you know, humanity has evolved along with. And if, you know, if we're sitting in a, a, a little box in a high rise in downtown Chicago, hoping to have those same feelings of connection and growth that we would have in a, in a going to red tent events, just mm. hanging out by ourselves, it's going to be difficult, you know? So yeah. like you said, you've got to try. Are, are there other things like red tent events or, you know, that you can think of there's, I know for people that are into plant medicine, maybe plant medicine ceremonies where they could go and work on trauma and connect with other people who are open-minded. What else comes to mind for you? What are things that you do? Yeah. I mean, I, I won't, I'll share some things that I do as well, but um, meetup groups are, are a great option as well. Um, virtual men's groups, virtual sister circles, virtual co-ed groups, um, you know, but again, virtual just is an option. Physical, mm-hmm. uh, ideally physical is where you want to be at. Um, mm-hmm. 
that's that's very important. Um, for me personally, man, uh, community is very important to me. So I create my community. I'm very blessed. I have an amazing community. Austin here's amazing community. And you guys are doing a, a, an amazing conscious community as well, right? Yeah, With Kyle yeah. Kingsbury and Joyous Heart. Um, so you're very deliberate, very deliberate, deliberate. in what we're creating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of, you know, how we're forming connection and intimacy in our communities as well. You know, I, I was, was very deliberate in creating a space where we can all get together, you know, and there are other people doing the same things and we just cross pollinate all of that, you know, and we just make an effort to spend time with each other in a sincere time in our busy lives. And, and it's, it's something that's been very important to me because I thrive in community. I know that. And, and I, I miss, very close friends and my brother that I have, you know, in Australia, like I, I live here now, my wife's American. I live in the U S I've been here for nearly three years and I love this place. It's an amazing, amazing land on so many levels. And I'm also very cognizant that I need tribe. And so I just go and I create that. And sometimes I'm an introvert, man. I'm, I'm, it's not comfortable for me per se being an extrovert. That's not my thing, but I know how important it is to me, so I go and do that. But what drives that ultimately is self-worth. You've got, you've got to believe in yourself and love who you are and not in a, in a way that's arrogant and divisive, but more in, hey, this is the value that I bring to the world and I really want to share that with people and I also want to learn and grow from others. But how can I do that? And, you know, where there's a will, there is a way. But if you get stuck in your old patterns of fear, then you're just going to get more of that in your life. Mm-hmm. And maybe... Well, we're on this topic. You could speak a little bit more to the community that you're building and creating. And uh, I don't know if you guys are full, but if you're, you know, if you're still accepting members, I'm sure we have people in the in the Texas area and that part of the country that that are super interested. So please share what you're what you're working on. Yeah. So I mean, there's a couple of different couple of different things that we're that we're working on. Firstly, you know, my wife and I are, are looking at. Um, really creating. So our co-brand, if you like, or co-expression in the world is called Love Amplified. And so it's about putting um, events together, uh, you know, stimulating relationship and and sacred union. You can be a single person and come to that. That's not an issue. But putting that on on a regular basis where we're able to have people meet and connect in a, in a very safe and connected way, um, exploring human consciousness, self and other, right? And so that's something that we're putting together this year as well, which is very exciting. There are various men's groups that I'm, that I'm, you know, private men's groups that I'm a part of here as well. And we're just in the community. People are, are constantly putting on, you know, just events, events to, to connect and, and get together. And I think that's, that's just part of being in a place where people really value community. This episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show is brought to you by Veritas Farms and their full line of CBD products, CBD standing for cannabidiol. Now, we are real excited about this partnership because Veritas means truth in Latin, and we are big believers in bringing you guys the truth, not just through this podcast, but by making sure that any products that we share or that we bring on as sponsors are products that we personally use, believe in, and endorse ourselves. And that is the case with Veritas Farms and their full line of 
CBD products. The reason that they're so great, they are full spectrum hemp products, meaning that they have all of the beneficial phytonutrients that you get in a quality CBD product. 99% of the CBD products on the market are CBD isolate, and they're just being resold, meaning they're coming from a few small manufacturers. They've only got one tiny part of all of the important phytonutrients that you need to get the benefits you want from a CBD product, and they're just a bunch of different companies reselling them. Veritas Farms is vertically integrated, meaning they own the farm. They ensure that there are no pesticides being added. It's organic, and then they control the entire process from harvesting to extraction until that product ends up at your door. That's what I love it. It's kind of like farm to table, but for CBD. And the benefits that I've noticed, my sleep is better. I feel like I get a deeper, more restful night's sleep. I'm less stressed. I never have periods of anxiety. I feel calm and focused throughout the day. And it even decreases inflammation when I have flights or other things where inflammation is an inevitable part of life. You take a little extra CBD and it can be very helpful for stress, anxiety, sleep, and that inflammation. So if you guys want to check it out, we've arranged a 15% discount for you guys. To get that, you can go to theveritasfarms.com forward slash biohacks. I'll spell it out. T-H-E-V-E-R-I-T-A-S-F-A-R-M-S.com forward slash B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S to save 15%. Check out the Veritas Farms CBD. You guys are going to absolutely love it. I heard this the other day that kind of the evolution of human consciousness, if it's something that we desire, um, kind of takes us from an I focus to a we focus mm. and then an all focus. Mm. Maybe you could speak a little bit to that progression, how you try to embody an all focus in your life. And then I'd like to start kind of transitioning into sacred union and some of the yeah. masculine and, and feminine polarities. Yeah. I think sometimes that transition from I to we to all can be really challenging, man, because I think many of us haven't transitioned from that three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old toddler state of everything's about me and everything's about survival because the environment hasn't been nourishing and rich enough and safe enough to do so. And so we develop this neurological, behavioral, emotional, relational habit and pattern that we take into our adult lives. It just keeps constantly being reinforced relationship after relationship with the right way that we behave, which is the same way that we always behave, which is in a hyper selfish way. But when we strip that back, it's about protection. We're just trying to feel safe inside of ourselves. And so for me, the tra transition from I to we to all is, is going through that process of reminding myself that I am safe and, you know, really helping my nervous system and my psychology relax more in tensile situations and deal with those tensile situations in different ways, you know, meet it with more curiosity, meet it with a greater sense of safety, not be so abrasive and aggressive, not being, not fall into hyperprotective mode and really notice that when I'm doing that, ask for help on a more regular basis. And that helps me get out of that hyper selfish state and transition from I to we to all, right? Because now there's not a mentality of scarcity and pain. There's not a mentality of, oh, I'm going to lose if I give myself or if this is, if there's a focus on more, more than just me, 
but that's a process, man. There's no, you know, we all want, again, very cerebrally focused. We all want a three-step or seven-step process to fix our lives. Well, firstly, we're not fucking broken. And secondly, it's not always going to be a, a, an X-step process. We just got to fucking sit in it sometimes. And, and we can then transition from the eye to the way because we're clearing that stuff out of our body that keeps us stuck in that hyper-selfish place. That's then stuck, we can transition. Stuck energy. Yeah, not letting that energy move. Yeah, stagnant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, there's, there's so much to those practices, whether it's journaling, whether it's screaming, whether it's hitting a heavy bag, like if you're feeling stuck, Mm. it's, it's stuck energy and something's got to move and kinetic energy is a great place to start breath work. Mm. Some of these, Mm. some of these practices and, and, you know, at times, sure, it may be necessary to deconstruct as you did early in your journey and reverse engineer certain things, but a lot of that is still up in the head. And that's probably what got us into that mess, you know? So, mm-hmm. so ha- letting the energy move, bringing that kinetic energy and saying, all right, how do I solve this problem from my heart that, that can tap into a much greater uh, mm-hmm. wellspring of wisdom, you know? When we were at uh, our event in 2017, one morning we were waking up and I had a yoga instructor come in to kind of teach a class. And, you know, we're, we're doing this, this men's event and it's going well, but I, I've, I've, I'm really feeling like um, I'm off and, and I can't put my finger on why. And we're sitting down and she starts teaching the yoga class and she says, the longest journey that any of us have to take is from our head to our heart. Mm. And it spoke right to me. And it was Mm. so clear that that was what I was struggling with. I was just constantly going up and operating from my head. Um, How, how do you help our listeners? How did you help yourself move from the head to the heart and spend more time operating from your heart center? Yeah. Feeling the unfelt suppressed feelings coming, coming to peace with, I can't po- keep polarizing myself and pretending everything's okay and only choosing to focus on the fun stuff or the stuff that's easy to feel. Like I had to feel some of those very big feelings that were very uncomfortable. Um, that's really ultimately for me where the transition comes because now we start moving into greater homeostasis and equilibrium, psychological and, and bio biophysical, right? And so from that place, we feel more whole and we don't feel so stuck. Let's talk a little bit about the divine union, masculine and feminine polarities, uh, the, the, the power and strength that comes from mm. divine union. Mm. Yeah, there's a, I think there's a, it's a very complex subject matter. It's a very complex practice as well. It, there's simplicity to it, don't get me wrong, but it's also a little more, you know, we try and, we we often take a reductionist approach to life, right? Because we want to simplify things and there's nothing completely wrong with that. I just think sometimes it's not always appropriate. And um, again, just a sort of byproduct of the cerebral nature of who we are, right? A very heady, heady uh, global community that is us. And, you know, masculine and feminine energetics reside within every human being, irrespective of your gender. And it's also connected to physiology at some level, right? But it's, that's not the only story. There's culture that's involved in there. There's family values, there's upbringing, there's, there's personal values, there's belief systems, models of reality. There's, there's so much, you know, what, what have we experienced as young people? You know, has, it, has there been trauma? Fundamentally, though, the characteristics of masculine and feminine, from my perspective, are just human qualities, 
they're first and foremost human qualities, but we almost can separate them to a degree, and maybe separation isn't the right word, but we can create contrast in these human qualities because contrast helps us learn at a richer level. Generally speaking, it helps us learn in deeper, more profound ways. So we can allocate these characteristics or these embodiment states into um, in masculine and feminine. Now, again, as a woman, you'll have masculine energetic in you, and as a man, you'll carry feminine energetic within you. I'm of the the belief and observation through what I've seen, and there are other teachers and, and scholars, I suppose, that would agree with this to some extent, that most men, most men, maybe, I don't know, 70% plus, will carry a stronger masculine energetic, and most women will carry a stronger feminine energetic. And there's a level of conditioning to that that's taken place over probably hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years, I would say. And there's probably a, a, a an interaction with the physiology that has also impacted that, right? So for me, when we merge and balance these energies within ourselves, we do become more balanced in our expression, how we interact with people. And that doesn't mean that you now become 50% masculine, 50% feminine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking more about not moving in extremes. So for example, if we're looking at a masculine leadership style, we can look at it in, in, a, in a healthy way and an unhealthy way. And generally, unhealthy ways are not very sustainable. For, for many reasons, socially and also um, from a perspective of health. So shadow or unhealthy um, leadership, masculine leadership may look like it's oppressive or controlling or subjugating or judgmental or segregating, um, you know, forceful. Like most but, dictatorships. Correct. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And and, and honestly, like, like many apparent democratic leadership, as well, you know, like, yeah, democratic leadership. And I'm not talking about the Democratic Party, like Democrats versus Republicans. I'm talking about a democracy, right, that we live mm. in, like a capitalist society. And that's that's another conversation, I'm sure, for another time. Um, and, you know, just to clarify, anyone else that gets on their fucking high horse, I'm not against capitalism in any capacity. Um, <laughs> you know, we live in such a politically – I mean, that's something that pisses me off to speak about that. Like, we live in such a politically correct society that you say something and all of a sudden, boom, like it just blows up. It's like, oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Another issue of I think that, you know, we go back to what aren't we taught at school is, hey, we're taught to be – too sensitive as well at some at some point, right? There's a, and this is the extreme. This is the balance point, right? This is what I'm talking about: extremes. And we definitely have to have consideration for other people and where they come from and ourselves. And like, it's okay to to learn about each other's boundaries and say, "Oh, I'm sorry, I said that." You know, and okay, I, I receive your apology. Cool, let's move on. Like, there's some level of maturity there, you know. But we almost lack that because we struggle to own all these parts of ourselves where we're segregated and fractured within and we don't feel whole. So we can't have those more mature conversations. Side note over, tangents over. Anyway, mm. masculine feminine. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm particularly interested in this masculine feminine polarity right now because we're seeing people appointed to government that sure. almost it's hard to tell what gender they are. There's a big push for the transgender movement, which in and sure. of itself kind of is run of the mill between the masculine and, and feminine polarity or, you know, on its own continuum in some, some, in some cases, um, where, where does the power derive and generate in a healthy masculine and feminine union? And, and how is that, um, an important component of us co-creating this new earth? 
Mm. So when you, just to clarify, when you ask that question, are you um, speaking uh, ideally between two people? So are you, are you, you know, heteronormative example between a man and a woman and, you know, assuming that the, the man has a stronger masculine pole and the, the woman has a stronger feminine pole? Good point. Good point. How does this work? I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, these energies reside within all of us. There's no, so if you're a man and you have a stronger feminine energetic, that's more natural to you. That's not wrong in any capacity. That's just how you roll, right? That's Very just true who point. you are. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's and vice versa. It's not. So it's not about wrong or right, but it is about playing to that. And so, you know, if we look at polarity, complementary opposites, so to speak, um, we're just talk, talking about a magnet. So two wings of the same bird, two sides of the same coin, um, and and they, they're going to be different, but they're also the same. So one and the same, but different. And it, from a perspective of taking the example of a magnet, plus minus comes together. M- minus minus doesn't plus plus doesn't come together in that way, right? It doesn't match up nicely, but plus minus does. And so active passive, right? Um, So in a relationship, it becomes very important that you know what your dominant energetic is and where you're most natural, where you naturally most express, you know, how you lead, where you, what areas of life you wish to lead. And the other person knows that as well. You know, we, we, this term submit or submission, it it carries a negative connotation often to it. But when two people are healthy, you can, you can submit and it's not associated with weakness or meekness or you being oppressed. It's you understanding your role in that dynamic. And I'll give you an example. I am, I'm a masculine man, so to speak. That's my energetic, right? Of course I carry feminine energetic within me as well. My, my dominant pole is masculine. There are times in my relationship with my wife where I submit to her wisdom and her knowledge or her leadership in certain areas. That doesn't make me weak. I don't think it makes me weak. It enhances everything that we're attempting to create and achieve in the world with respect to that goal. I don't get into my ego and get arrogant and say, well, I'm the man or I'm in a masculine pole, so I'm going to constantly lead and you, I'll do it my way and that's all there is to it because there's an arrogance that's associated with that. And there's also oppression and control associated with that. And I've got to look at where's that coming from within me. That's my insecurity. And so if Christine is going to be more proficient at something than me, or even beyond just a, a function of utility, she just really, that's very, she's very passionate about that or wants that. And we're quote unquote equally as good. I'm cool with that. And she's cool as well. We will we will share those roles. So you figure that out within your relationship. But in order to have that healthy communication, you've got to know yourself. So self-awareness is very important. We've got to come back to doing your inner work, right? You know, knowing what your love languages are, knowing what your erotic blueprint is, as an example, knowing how you want to have sex, knowing what your fantasies are, knowing what your past wounds are, knowing what your dreams are. Like you've got to explore yourself, self-exploration. We are here as a humanity because we explore the world at some point we just kept extending the perimeter of what felt safe. We were exploring the unknown. Now it's really time. And we've been doing this for thousands of years as well, but it's really time to go inward again and explore the inner chasms of our world, not just the outer, not just the mountains and the seas and space and, and our solar system and, and beyond, but all, not the physical world, but also the internal psychological world and, and, and what consciousness actually is and represents. And I think the more we do that, we're, we're able to balance these expressions of masculine feminine energy, which is just a way to understand each other in the world, right? It's just one modality, technique, I don't know, tool, whatever you want to use it, uh, whatever you want to have, you want to describe it. 
And, and we get to play with that within ourselves and in our relationships. What is your personal philosophy around masturbation when it comes for men? It's very contextual. So having a self-pleasure practice is there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it can actually be really healthy. Now, for me, I'm very, I'm very uh, personally, I'm very uh, aware of releasing seed and that being life force energy. So I'll take a more Eastern approach to that. Um, you know, masturbation to uh, mainstream pornography. Uh, I have some issues with that, and you know, I've had compulsion and addiction around that in the past as well. The issue for me, oh, man, pornography is a big, uh, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, you've spoken about masturbation, but it's almost impossible in today's day and age to not speak about mainstream pornography when you're, and I'm very deliberate when I say mainstream pornography, um, it, very difficult to not speak to that and masturbation, particularly when it comes to males, mm-hmm. very difficult to not to, to segregate the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, Masturbation is healthy, can be healthy, isn't always healthy, can be very healthy. A self-pleasure practice, exploring oneself, diffusing sexual shame within the individual can be We're very- talking in an example, you light some candles, you know, you're, you're not sitting there watching Pornhub or something. You're, you're, you're connecting with yourself yeah. in a more traditional manner yeah. rather than, than the latter. Yeah. You know, yeah. watching using pornography to stimulate. Yeah, yeah, to to stimulate you because you know pornography is also very safe. Yeah, we have to understand why pornography is so appealing to men. It's like because, fast food. Well, yeah, well that and there's no rejection, there's mm-hmm. no humiliation, there's constant. You know, we're talking about goal orientation and objective orientation. That's a masculine energetic, right? Mm-hmm. And so the goal is always going to be met. You just keep watching different videos until you get what you need or what you want. She's always going to be happy or he's always going to be happy, depending on what your tastes are. There's always satisfaction. They're acting. It's not real. You're not getting humiliated for your body or the way your cock looks or you're not able to get a heart on or you're not ejaculating in the right way or the wrong way or too late or too soon or whatever it may be. Like, So it really feeds into this insular sense of self. It reinforces your worthiness. So that's very attractive. Plus the physiological release of ejaculate also is amazing in the body. So it just keeps reinforcing this pattern, right? And it can become a compulsion or it can become an addiction. So, you know, pornography, and then we bring that sense of, oh, well, this is how because we have this visual of it, right? And visual, visual stimulation is very strong in the nervous system and in the brain. And we have this sense of, well, this is how sex needs to be. So when, if, if, not when, if men then transcend from masturbation and pornography to sexual interaction with another human being, it, it, it's clunky and distorted because they have this vision of their head of this is how it needs to go, but it doesn't go like that because that's all fucking acting. That's not real. And so, and so now they're getting rejected and isolated and feeling shame. And they're like, it's easier to masturbate. It's easier to go see a prostitute. I did that for years. It's easier to go do those types of things because now, you know, I'm paying for it. Um, she's putting on a show again, but then, you, you, you know, it's again, this very, very complicated question, man. I mean, I love the question, but it's just super complicated. Mm-hmm, super sure, layered. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's it's very clear to me that pornography is bad for the brain 
Mm. And it throws, it throws off our reward threshold, our mm. dopamine centers and the way that, that the chemicals in our brain fire. So, but I also have a high sex drive. And so when, when I do engage in a self pleasure practice, I'm not looking at, at pornography or anything like that, you know, just kind of going back to your other example. And mm. I found that's uh, a sustainable ebb and flow. And when I can subscribe to a more Eastern philosophy around not spilling my seed, I find mm. that I feel better doing yeah. that. I yeah, feel more sure. powerful, yeah. stronger, more driven. Um, there's a reason that fighters, you know, a lot of times weren't allowed to that's ejaculate right. before fights. Yeah. Um, it's not just, it's not just an old wives tale. No. And then there's ejaculation in a very specific way. Like, you know, there's some ancient, um, Egyptian methodology that, that will, that will say, Hey, ejaculate as much as you want and breathe in a very specific way. So you, you're, you're releasing ejaculate, but you're retaining life force. And so there's different, there's different ethos on it. It just depends where you want to come from on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what practice from those Eastern philosophies have you kept in your life? Um, often seed retention is, is helpful when, when having sex, I don't really masturbate a lot to be honest with you. I just, it's just easier. I mean, every now and then I may, yeah, for sure. But it's, I mean, when I was, see, I have an interesting relationship with masturbation. So when I was, oh, I must've been, uh, I want to say 18. When I was 18, I made a commitment. I'm never going to masturbate. Well, I didn't say that. Sorry. Let me go back one. I said, I'm going to try, I'm going to do my best to not masturbate for as long as I can. But I still gave myself, I'm going to have sex. I'm going to be like, that's okay. That's all cool. But I'm not just not going to masturbate. I just want to see what happens. I ended up going something like seven years and five months or something. No masturbation. Now, I was wow. I was having sex during that time and I had partnerships in that time. And, sure. and sometimes I didn't, you know, like sometimes it was complete abstinence. But that was the first time I did it. And then I did it again. And I went for something like five years because I wanted to explore what does my life look like? What does it feel like? What's happening in my world? But because I was still very wounded and I was coming from very low self-worth, I would, it would, yes, I was very strong minded to not masturbate and not watch pornography, but I was doing other things. Like I would visit prostitutes or, uh, you know, I would, (laughs) I would, I would be manipulative. The undertones when I look back, manip- manipulation in my communication with women, so I could have sex with them because I wasn't masturbating. So, because I wasn't healthy in my psychological and emotional constitution. So, whilst that was great to do that, it also I could see you know the blind spots there. So, for me, the practices that I retain now, it definitely less goal orientated. So it's less about it's less outcome driven. And I, I definitely will have a, a breathing practice whilst I'm in, engaged in, in, in sex. Well, not always. Sometimes I don't. But, you know, most of the time it's just very deliberate. It's more curious as well. So there's some of the practices that I have at the moment. Nice. When you talk about, I think a lot of men can relate to outcome-oriented sex. Mm, mm. Um, and a lot of times we know about human behavior that, like, if you're trying to change a bad habit, it's good to replace it with something else what would you replace that bad habit of being outcome driven with sex or where would you shift uh, men's focus? Yeah, for me, it was very important to have something to focus on that was important to me. You can call it a purpose if you like, you can call it something that you're passionate about. It can be a hobby. It can be something else. For me, I create content. I philosophize. I create models of 
you know, new, whether it's a new socioeconomic model or what is not so much new, but what, you know, what does masculinity look like? Do I develop a model around that? What are key principles of relationships? So I, you know, I study, I research, I put my energy into that. Um, but I also work on my self-worth because it's my self-worth. If it's low, it's driving this outcome-driven performance. I have to make sure that she's happy and she's satisfied. I have to make sure that I'm looking a particular way for her, moving a particular way, because that's how I validate myself. And so when I work on my sense of self, my confidence, I'm able to communicate with greater clarity, be very honest in relationships, but also not have this need and not this immense disappointment if I don't meet an internalized expectation that I've created of myself or what she needs or what my partner needs or what the other person needs, even in friendship, whatever it may be. And so working on that self-worth is really important. Having something that you're deeply passionate about where you can pour energy into and that becomes a process, like you're enthralled by the process. And yes, you have an outcome that you're atta- you've attached to that, but you're not obsessed with that outcome. It's about the process. So that means you're enjoying the moments that you are creating and learning and growing and struggling and all of that. So that's very important as well. So would your would your advice, if I were to sum it up, be if, if there's a, a guy listening right now and he's been traditionally goal-oriented with sex to instead focus on really being present and enjoying the moment and giving pleasure and receiving pleasure? Mm. Yeah, for sure. When it comes to sex, yeah. Well, Stephanos, this has been a lot of fun, very enjoyable conversation. Um, for our listeners, growwithsteph.com, G-R-O-W-W-I-T-H-S-T-E-F.com. Um, where else can they stay up to date on, you know, your community projects you're working on, all that sort of thing? Yeah, um, that website for sure, uh, stephanosafandos.com, but also my social media, Stephanos, at stephanosafandos, sorry, at stephanosafandos. And you have a uh, meditation course, correct? Yeah, I've got a men's guided meditation course. I have a breath work and meditation course as well that my wife and I did, which is really cool. Nice, yeah. nice. And that's, those are those are both on uh, the growwithstuff.com? Uh, yes, that should be. Yeah, that's right. And you'll be able to also go to, uh, you can go to my wife's, christinehassler.com slash breathwork. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, Stephanos. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you dropping, uh, dropping by, sharing your time and wisdom with everybody and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Thank Thanks, you. man. Appreciate you. What's up, guys? Anthony here, and thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. One of my favorite things to do is helping men and women like you feel what it's like with the body you've always wanted and all-day energy that starts the moment you wake up and doesn't quit. Over the past decade, we've created a proprietary health assessment that helps me to identify the unique toxicities and deficiencies that may be holding you back from the life that you deserve. And what we've discovered in doing this with now thousands of CEOs, executives, professional athletes, businessmen, Hollywood celebrities, and entrepreneurs is that there's always room for improvement and optimization. Whether you're already performing at a high level or you have that feeling inside your heart that you're capable of more, the single fastest way to unlock your potential is to upgrade your mind and your body. And there's no program on earth that does that faster or to a greater magnitude than our one-on-one consulting program at www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. 
We start with our proprietary health assessment that screens you for vitamin deficiencies like A, D, magnesium, iron, etc., high cholesterol and heart disease, high blood pressure, digestive disorders, hidden infections like Lyme, Epstein-Barr, parasites, SIBO, candida, and more that can just drain your energy in the background, especially if you don't know about them. Anxiety, depression, and cognitive disorders, autoimmune disease, adrenal fatigue, thyroid issues, mold toxicity, heavy metals, environmental toxins, and other genetic risk factors like MTHFR, APOE status, your glutathione production, and many more. We even recommend the specific tests that I use with my one-on-one clients if they're relevant for you in figuring out your biological age and identifying those key areas and opportunities that can take your life to the next level. From there, we create a customized game plan along with a personalized supplement protocol to help you optimize your weight and energy at the cellular level. And for our platinum clients, we even include a personalized workshop with me in Delray Beach, Florida. Most of the year, this program's full with a waiting list, but we just had a couple spots open up and I wanted to offer them to the listeners of the Biohacking Secrets show first. So if you're interested in seeing what it might look like for us to work together, head over to www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash coaching. That's www.biohackingsecrets.com forward slash C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G and fill out the short application form. If you're pre-approved, you'll be given the opportunity to book a time to connect with someone on our team and see if it's a fit. Thank you so much for being a part of this community, and I look forward to potentially going on this journey together. 